Hi everyone and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host Zivna Kajima Magin and in this episode we're going to try and piece together what we've been discussing so far. The basic environment, the market fundamentals, the unique advantages and challenges that come with choosing to invest in Japan and some other aspects that we've only briefly touched upon and we're going to dig a bit deeper into um, how to form all of this into a general investment strategy, something that will help us decide on where, how and what to invest in when entering this market. Now, like any good investment strategy, we'll want to try and ensure that we're gaining as much profit as possible, while at the same time reducing any potential risks and losses to the bare possible minimum. So let's review what we know so far. First and foremost, from a macroeconomic perspective, we know that Japan has been a deflationary environment from the early 90s up until about 2012. And while things have been looking better since then, it might be safer to assume that this trend just might come back, at least until the two major issues being population decline and debt to GDP ratio have been seriously tackled long term. We may see a more open immigration policy in the future. We may see the birth rate going up. We may even see some serious sovereign debt reduction policy taking shape. But until that happens, let's base our strategy on the assumption that the economy may take a downturn again at any given time. This means that our main priority should be monthly returns, cash flow, and that we shouldn't assume any capital growth. If and when values do go up, that's just a bonus from our perspective. But the basis of our portfolio should prioritize rental returns as a primary criteria for our property asset selection strategy. Now, as we discussed previously, when choosing locations, we also want to choose places where the population isn't in rapid decline. So when thinking about the potential tenant base, we will often find ourselves shopping in places where capital growth potential does exist. But because we're focusing mainly on monthly returns, and because we want to maximize these and not depend on values going up for profit, we're most likely going to avoid the top hotspots, which would be places like central Tokyo, central Osaka, uh, Niseko, which is Japan's most famous uh, international ski resort village up in Hokkaido, and other rich and famous holiday resort towns like Hakone, anywhere on the Izu Peninsula, and so forth. This is even truer now. The prices have actually gone up in those places, as they have been between 2012 to 16. Uh, in the next episode, we're going to talk more about locations, but for now, let's just keep focusing on general strategy. Another factor that we really want to take into account is the currency exchange. The last decade has seen a huge increase in currency exchange volatility among all major currencies, and the Japanese yen is no exception to that. Japan is a huge participant in the what's labeled the currency wars, similar to the US and China, which means that Japan doesn't have any problem, and in fact often does, participate in quantitative easing policies, what some economists like to call printing money. What this means in effect is that the central bank pours huge amounts of money into the economy in various uh, projects, spending sprees, new policy items, the purpose of which is to try and actively push down the value of the local currency by flooding the market with liquid cash. Now, like any other product, money also loses value when supply increases, which in turn helps the country's export market. If the Japanese yen is cheaper compared with other currencies, Japanese products also become cheaper, 
which theoretically helps boost the economy. The only problem here is, is that Japan is not the only one doing this. So whenever the central bank uh, pushes, uh, pushes here, other central banks around the world tend to push back, which creates what is referred to as currency wars and means that the value of all these major currencies, Japanese yen, US dollar, Chinese yuan, the euro, these are the usual suspects. All of these currencies fluctuate quite rapidly and they constantly peak up and down. Now, foreign exchange traders capitalize on this volatility on a minute-by-minute -minute basis as part of the, their daily routine. But any investor who has reasonable amounts of liquid cash in various currencies, regardless of whether these cash reserves are held in their country of residence, multiple accounts, or various locations worldwide, any investor can profit from these currency swings as well. The key here is to monitor these exchange rates on a daily basis. So whenever one of them peaks against the other, it's time to sell the currency that's shot up and buy the one that's gone down. And it's worth leaving these cash reserves liquid or as liquid as possible and accessible, meaning you don't want to lock them down in any interest term deposit in a bank because these term deposits, uh, the interest rate relies on you not withdrawing those funds for a number of months or years. Because these swings, uh, these uh, up and down peaks in the currencies will always net you a lot more than any interest on a term deposit account will ever do. So if you're going to be invested in Japan, don't worry about pulling or repatriating your Japanese yen income back home on a regular basis. Even if you've got an interest bearing account at home to put the money into, just keep monitoring the rates. Whenever the yen shoots up or your home currency shoots down, then transfer those funds across. And similarly, don't wait for the last minute, for example, just before a property settlement, before you send funds across over to Japan. Instead of that, you want to, again, monitor the rates on a daily basis. And whenever you see the yen taking a dive or your home currency shooting up, then you send those funds over to Japan and convert them to Japanese yen. You do this even if you haven't got a particular property purchase in mind just yet because the very act of conversion will already make you a nice little side bonus. And the funds will be ready here for a property purchase in Japan whenever that might happen. But they've been remitted at a profit. As opposed to a last-minute settlement transfer, when you've got to meet a, a settlement deadline, for example, and you take whatever rate the market happens to be offering you at that time. That could spell a bit of a loss if the yen happens to be pricier at that point in time. Okay, so we're going to be targeting monthly cash flow as opposed to potential capital gains. And we're going to make sure that we're staying liquid whenever possible and that we're remitting our foreign exchange reserves across to and from Japan whenever rates justify and not because we need the money here or there. The third factor we want to consider, which is another one of the main advantages of these uh, 25 odd years of deflation, is that properties in Japan are now very, very affordable. So, yes, a trendy penthouse in central Tokyo can cost a million dollars or more, but these large and newish properties generate very little cash flow in any case, so they don't really sit well with our first rule. Add to that the fact that the population is declining and is very rapidly aging, and that means that the biggest tenant base in Japan is composed of singles, many of them elderly, and you're starting to see that the easiest property to populate, which also happens to be the highest yielding property class in monthly return terms, 
is smaller studio or single bedroom apartments. Now to further maximize that monthly return, we'll want to hit the sweet spot between too old, which means a lot of renovations and repairs on a regular basis, but we also want to avoid too new, which means lower returns and quicker depreciation. Now, tax depreciation lifespans for uh, reinforced concrete blocks in Japan, which is most of these older apartment buildings, is 47 years. So the best purchase criteria age-wise is somewhere between 1982, which is also when the latest uh, earthquake-resistant building standards for these structures were introduced, by the way, and all the way up to about 2000 or so, which is when general floor plans and layouts started becoming wider, more spacey, more modern, and as a result of that are also more expensive and generate less returns percentage-wise. Now, you will occasionally see uh, some very well-maintained older buildings, and these older buildings can be partly retrofitted uh, as far as earthquake-resistant standards are involved too. So this rule isn't set in stone, but it is probably a good guideline. So 1982 to 2000, and we'll obviously revise and revisit that as the years progress. These smaller, older apartments are also very affordable. And these days they go for anywhere between 2 million Japanese yen, which is just under 20,000 US dollars at current rates, and 10 million yen, which is about 85,000 US dollars. That's another upside of the deflationary cycle, and it also allows us to diversify and hedge funds over several assets, in several geographic locations, and over different cities, which also means different industries, different socioeconomic profiles. And even if we purchase one building, meaning all of our units are in the same place, we've still got several of those units, which means several different tenants and income streams. Somebody moves out, you've still got a large portion of your income stream in play, as opposed to putting the entire money into a newer, bigger, more expensive apartment or house, which means a tenant moves out and we're down to zero income. So to summarize, this is our strategy. Generally speaking, high cash flow yielding assets in stable second tier metropolitan centers, so not central Tokyo, not central Osaka, but we do want these cities to have stable tenant bases and stable local economies. We want to keep liquid cash in both our country of residence and Japan. And we want to focus on smaller, older and cheaper apartments, but not too old that can host singles or childless couples in all ages, and these allow us to diversify and hedge our portfolio as much as possible. Now, if that sounds good, tune in next time when we're going to be discussing where exactly in Japan can we find this asset profile, and what exactly is the city profile that we want to look at when we are considering these potential deals. And until then, happy investing!